Hey, Dungeon Crawler, thanks for tuning in to our episode this week. But guess what? Did you know there's even more that you could be listening to? If you head over to our Patreon, you can get access to behind-the-scenes content, hearing more of the discussion before and after the show, and even comments in the middle that didn't make it into the final cut. Thank you so much for your support, and keep being great. This episode is sponsored by World Anvil. World Anvil is an award-winning world-building and writing software for people who love to create rich and exciting worlds. This episode of Dungeon Crawlers Radio contains subject matter that may be considered triggering and mature. Listener discretion is advised. This is Daniel. This is Krebs. This is Alton. This is Matai, the other Krebs. And you're listening to the greatest geek podcast out there. Dungeon Crawlers Radio. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of Dungeon Crawlers Radio. I am Krebs, and I am joined tonight with my brethren. I am Matai, the other Krebs. Welcome, welcome. Well, I don't like to think of you as the other Krebs, but this is Alton over here. I'm the original Krebs, the OK one, the OG. Yeah, OK was our old joke. <laughs> Yeah. For those who don't know, go back and listen to earlier episodes of Dungeon Crawlers Actually, Radio. Actually, on that little tangent, it was one year ago uh, last week that was my first episode as a what? regular co-host. Wait, it's your anniversary? Show? It's your episode of Yeah. Yeah. Oh. Well, we don't do anything special for that. Congratulations. <laughs> you know, I think we need to do twice what we normally do for anniversaries can, on the show. For can me. we get a level up in the comments, maybe? <laughs> <laughs> level Not, up. You may have noticed that in our roster, you did not hear our fearless leader and showrunner, Daniel. He is out of town having a little bit of well-deserved vacation time, and we will likely hear from him again next week. Meanwhile, while the keeper's away, the inmates will take over the asylum. <laughs> Absolutely correct. And that's a very interesting way to kind of put this, because tonight's topic is one of uh, deep fascination, much study and research, and indeed some controversy. Last week, as we were wrapping up our episode on the Pantheon of Star Trek, we spun the wheel of topics and we landed on a subject suggested by our dear friend Alton, violence in the media, particularly the portrayals of violence, the impact of that portrayal, and whether or not we find good or bad when does it add something? When does it take away? We want to have a discussion about this, particularly uh, at the principal level, but so that we can understand how it impacts how we tell our stories, how we engage in our media, and how we help other people be either entertained or perhaps frightened or perhaps work through some difficult subject. So without too many more sort of like bird's eye view spoiler type concepts, Let's dive right into this. Now, Alton, this was a subject that you suggested for the wheel. Yeah. Yeah. So, it, 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 and this is something that I've thought a lot about and continue to think a lot about, right? Um, I tell some stories. I play some games. I, I consume some media from time to time. And uh, obviously, we've, we've watched as the public perception of violence and how often we're seeing it appear in the real world continues to increase. Now, our goal tonight is not necessarily to take a, a political, social, or moral stance on definitively good, definitively bad, or here's what we prescribe to say, right. the, the exclusive situations in which violence is appropriate or inappropriate. But 
rather, I'd like to examine this more from the um, second person view standpoint that says, you know, when and how can we utilize violence in our media as an appropriate tool? And where do we perhaps see it cross the line, right? A great example, Dungeons and Dragons is foundationally a combat simulation game, right? You can't really have combat without violence, but there are ways and social tools that have evolved over the last 40 years that enable us to use that in a much better way. Similarly, there are all kinds of laws nationally and internationally about the way that violence can be portrayed in video games, in films, in TV shows uh, that have changed and evolved to meet the needs of the individuals of their given societies. So the first question that I kind of want to tee up for everybody is, what is an example of violence in a TV show, video game, film, or book that you've enjoyed that you feel has really added to mm. the content and the value of that piece of media? You know, keeping with the theme of the last few episodes of Star Trek, uh, the first thing I thought of was Wrath of Khan. Hmm. And here's where uh, there's there is, you know, a, a fair measure of violence in in Star Trek. But movie number two was somewhat unique in the franchise in that this was basically a submarine battle. Right. In that, I liked the way they orchestrated the violence because the um, while some of it was a little disturbing, you know, think earworms. Uh, there was <laughs> the, the violence that was merciless and hard to take was, was Khan's initial attack. It was like attacking an innocent, somebody who was unsuspecting, and it immediately caused the appropriate emotional response. He's the bad guy. We hate him. This is what I consider to be necessary when you have violence in your story. You have to build up to it, and you have to justify it. <laughs> when Khan is finally defeated at the end, and he's burned and he's crippled, you don't necessarily feel sympathy for him because the violence is deserved. Instead of mercy or empathy, we're feeling justice. There are some characters who deserve to die. <laughs> and that statement right there may put me in one of the categories of of people who violence has affected perhaps too much but <laughs> um if your violence is built up to and mm. you can prove that the violence is just then instead of being harmful or causing a conflict within the audience it's like okay i would feel unfulfilled if it didn't happen if they got away yep. with it mm-hmm yeah, I've definitely got a couple of thoughts on that point, but first I'm interested to hear, Josh, what you have to say. Your original question was around, is there an example where violence elevated the mm -hmm. subject matter or the me or, or the medium or whatever? Yeah. And uh, I have several, many examples. The example that sort of trumped them all for me was The Walking Dead. An entire show, an entire story within the context of the macabre and the dying and the undying. This show did a phenomenal job of fooling us into thinking that the bad guys were the undead. Hmm. And during the first season, which was stellar by almost all accounts, right? 
Robert Kirkman, the creator of the Walking Dead graphic novel and the one who was helping to drive the show, said that the title The Walking Dead does not refer to the Zeds, doesn't refer to the undead things walking around. The Walking Dead refers to the humans who survive. Because yeah. and, and as they demonstrated this over arguably too many seasons, uh, as they demonstrated <laughs> this, they they proved out the kinds of things that happen to your humanity mm-hmm. after you've been exposed to the need to survive, to protect those you love. All of those things, all of the, the, the sort of like humanitarian lessons of that show, the morals of that show, the, the pitfalls and the cautionary tales, all of them are told using the broad paintbrush of violence and loss and, and opportunities to be a savior. Like none of The Walking Dead could do what it did so very well. In the absence of violence, you could not possibly role play or negotiate your way out of every situation and contingency in that show. Yeah. So it's been interesting to hear each of you talking about these examples. And and there are a myriad of examples that I could put forward as well. But you've both set up perfectly one of the core things that I've considered as I've thought about the ways to utilize violence appropriately in a constructive way rather than a destructive way. And this is going to sound very esoteric and shamanistic here, but, but we're oh, going to get into get it. Let's get art right? house, Alton. We've, we've been telling stories around campfires for tens of thousands of years, right? This is one of the evolutionary traits that has brought humanity together. And one of the reasons that we tell stories, especially fictional stories, is to be able to contextualize things that are difficult to process, Right. Each person's path is unique. Each way that we interpret the world around us and the things that happen to us is unique. But if we abstract things into larger-than-life scenarios, it often becomes easier to process. And every person at some point feels like they are out of control or feels like there are things that are happening to them that are not their fault, that there's nothing they can do about, that they were not expecting, right? But it's sometimes very difficult to communicate that idea in a way that resonates broadly with an audience because our individual experiences are so personalized. But being able to put violence, especially physical violence, forward to be able to establish who a bad guy is or what their motivations are, or to be able to build the grittiness or the difficulty of a scenario right away and communicate a broader idea can be a great shortcut tool to enable people to immediately sympathize with a situation rather than having to empathize with something much, much, much more specific, Mm -hmm. right? Um, a, A great example of violence that isn't necessarily person on person, but that comes to mind for me was, uh, if you guys saw the last Puss in Boots film, did you guys see Mm -hmm. that at all? Yes. Yes. Absolutely fascinating. A beautiful piece of art. I highly recommend anybody watch it, which is weird because I'm recommending what on the surface looks like a kid's cartoon. But there are some really solid portrayals of what it's like to be in the middle of a panic attack. Mm-hmm. Um, and as somebody who has dealt with a lot of anxiety, who has dealt with a lot of problems, to be able to see that represented on the screen 
and to be able to turn to my wife and say, that's what it looks like inside. That's what it feels like inside. That's what it sounds like inside was, was hugely helpful. Right. And, and I think that that's one of the core things that leads me to say that eliminating all violence whatsoever may not actually be a service to humanity in terms of our storytelling in the real world. Obviously I do not want people beating each other up or please be kind to each other first and foremost. Absolutely. Yep. But being able to have those hard situations that allow us to abstract our own problems can be a very useful tool. And it kind of goes along with what you're what you were saying. There are there are times when violence can be used constructively, and I think there are times when violence is destructive. There's a couple of ways that violence can be uh, destructive. One is triggering. Uh, I remember one time I went to go serve jury duty, and mm-hmm. among the group was a woman in a motorized wheelchair, and uh, she was called up as a potential juror, and they began to ask her questions. And almost immediately, she got very emotional and distraught. The judge stopped for a second and turned to her and asked, um, this was a case involving a, um, a, a an automobile accident that the jurors were going to have to um, discuss about. He turned to her and said, um, ma'am, may I ask how long you've been in that wheelchair? And she said, three months. And he said, was it the was it perhaps the result of a car accident? And she broke down and said, yes. He says, you're excused. Yeah. And, you know, and just something that recent and life changing, even talking about now, I do not do not expect many courtrooms to be an arena of, of violence. But even just that reference triggered something in her. And I don't want to in any way. um compare uh, any experience I've had with with what she went through. Uh, But I have been in a few car accidents and we happen to live on a street, my brother and I, um, Uh that had accidents about every month. It was right in front of our house. Uh, Like usually every week or every other week, there was some car accident within about 100 yards of our house. And Hmm. we began to know that sound, but it was usually filtered through the walls or whatever. But here I was in a car and hearing the sound unfiltered happening around me, right? And um, and so I and I remembered that. And then later on, I was just watching a regular TV show. There's a car chase. There ends up being a crash. I jumped like it was one of those stupid cat jump scares from a horror movie. This is just a stupid streets of San Francisco car chase that she that are a dime a dozen in TV shows. I had never had that yep. reaction before, but I had just recently been in that car accident. Now, eventually you get desensitized. And that's the second type of damage that violence can do. And um, I want to be careful how I address this topic, uh, because as, as Alfred said, I don't want to come off as saying we're making a moral judgment on this. Let's acknowledge that individuals have differing levels of tolerance for violence. Yeah. Yes. And different tolerances to different types of violence exactly. as well, yes. which is also yes. very important. Absolutely. 100%. One of the things that law enforcement and military do are desensitization exercises. Uh, and they've learned this over the centuries of war and violence that it causes an immediate visceral primitive reaction. And if that hits you, it can incapacitate you. 
if you're mm-hmm. not prepared for it. And so they do things intentionally to desensitize you to the violence so that you can continue to be effective, accomplish your mission, or do whatever it is you need to do, despite horrific, terrifying things that are potentially happening all around you. Yeah. And that same principle applies to audiences. We have the ability to desensitize ourselves to violence. And the younger we start, the more that tolerance builds and can induce some forms of, um, is it sociopathy or psychopathy? Uh, Sociopathy. Yeah. Where you no longer are able to empathize with victims because violence is just a normal thing. And I think that's the kind of a damage that one ought to be careful of. When I stop thinking of my fellow human beings as people deserving to be free of pain, maiming, and even death, uh, or their misfortune and physical pain thrills or entertains me, that's a point where you ought to take a step back and go, I think I've gone too far. Yeah. Um, and so you never want to lose your humanity, and it is absolutely possible to do that with the variety of um, media that is out there. Well, and and very much to your point, uh, and uh, you know, one of the ways that that I process violence, um, specifically the way that I that I codify it to make sure that I am being more attentive and sensitive as a game master, right, is that violence, the definition of violence for me is that it is an act, intention, or outcome that violates the sanctity or the status quo of an individual. Mm -hmm. Meaning, uh, as a great example, birth can in fact be a very violent thing if the proper context isn't there. As a little kid who has no idea what's going on, birth is an extremely violent act. It is not necessarily violence of one person on another, but it changes the perception of what a situation is. And without the context, it can become a very harmful, difficult thing. And it's the same kind of thing when you're in the grocery store and you see the little three-year-old getting really upset that he isn't being given the chocolate bar. That could literally be the worst thing that has ever happened in that child's existence so far. (laughs) You don't know. And it's important that we understand and validate the experiences of the individual while also doing what we can to be good people and help support their recontextualization of what's going on and, and their ability to grow. But at the end of the day, if it's an internal issue... It's got to be an internal solution, too. If you've been listening to the show for a while, you've heard Daniel talk about World Anvil. I tried it myself, and holy moly, kids! World Anvil is designed to help you lay out the master plan for your campaign or the entire plot for your novel. The suite of features is immense, but the excellent tutorials and resources help me get rolling in no time. If you have a campaign or story idea that is begging to be unleashed, give World Anvil a try. And you can use the code DCR40 to get a whopping 40% off today. Go right now to worldanvil.com and try out an award-winning world-building suite of tools that are totally epic and don't suck. 
I, I've got one example I want to bring up. And uh, Alton, I don't know if you've seen this. I know Krebs has. Um, Krebs and I are big fans of the Series 24. Uh-huh. And when the first season came out, it was just amazing. Uh, we loved it. We watched it all. I got uh, several of the seasons on DVD. Um, uh-huh. I have never rewatched season one. Mm-hmm. And this is something personal here. I I have a very negative reaction to sexual violence. Uh-huh. I don't like uh-huh. that at all. Um and uh, it disturbs me and will stay with me. Anytime that I see that in media, it just stays with me for, for quite a while. And, and I don't like it. Well, there is an episode in there and they don't show anything. Then in the next episode, it's very clear what, what, it, what it, what's, what's happened, right? <laughs> that has just uh, repulsed is the term that I would use. Uh, and I can't go back and watch that season. Uh, even just talking about it now, I'm starting to get the the, the willies. It's just, it bothers me so mm-hmm. much. And and it kind of goes back to what you were saying, Alton, about somebody violating another individual's status quo. The, 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 you could argue that there wasn't really any violence there. It was all implied. Nothing was shown, but it still registers to me as if the whole violence was there. So my question is, uh, Krebs, you remember this uh, this scene? Yes. Keeping with the theme of the episode, what was your critique of the uh, of that particular um, act of violence? Hmm. Uh, whether it contributed or uh, took away from the story, was it constructive, destructive? And and then to Alton, are you familiar with this episode at all? Did you ever see that? I I am not. I've actually never i think i may have technically seen one episode of 24 that doesn't work you have to see one day of 24 yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's why i was like i haven't watched it the moment that jack bauer could get anywhere in la in 10 minutes uh, the suspension of disbelief disintegrated <laughs> this is true this no is actually true. i'm a huge huge fan of 24 uh and um i know i, I remember watching the entire first season with you matai and i remember the intense discomfort with that scene now for the purposes of this episode of dcr there are some aspects of this that we could break down to your point the the, on the on the con side of things this is i would refer to this definitely as triggering violence i think any violence could be triggering depending on someone's life experience And I know some people personally who have been through this kind of violence. And even as we sit here and we talk about this, I'm genuinely concerned about how this conversation is impacting them. That said, I think it's also vital in humans Mm -hmm. that we have the ability as human beings to have a discussion. I think it's Mm -hmm. important that we have the ability to face scary things. For me personally... And, and, and hear me out because I'm not making accusations here. I'm, I'm driving a principle here. I grew up with more than my fair share of what I look back on now as irrational fear. I had some very rational fears too. I did. But there were a lot of things that as I look back on them, and I understand how the world works better now than I did when I was younger, these are fears that they were fears but they were irrational. The idea that I was afraid of something 
that was never in a position to do me harm, yet I had that fear. And so irrational fear prevented me from making a number of decisions in my life that as I look back on, I wish I had chosen differently. Now, there are some things you should be afraid of. You should, there, there is healthy fear, right? That said, I think in an effort for we as humans to evolve, to increase our grit and our personal strength, and this is a very personal journey for everyone, I think it's important that every person who is ready to address a fear allow themselves to be exposed to what makes them afraid. I think that when we talk about shows like 24, while there is definitely an aspect of the violence that is meant purely for entertainment, there is also that aspect of violence that is meant to strum the chords of your empathy and even to invoke a little bit of fear in the hopes that you will develop more as a human, that you will develop more empathy for those people who are in those situations. And maybe you'll also develop a bit more personal strength where it puts you in a position where you can help others, if not yourself. Yeah. Now, if I may, there is a subtlety in what you just suggested that I want to make sure to explicitly call out. Exposure to a thing can take many, 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 many forms. Mm -hmm. And the idea of specifically exposure therapy has long been debunked. Okay. Somebody who is afraid of snakes should not necessarily go to a reptile house. <laughs> but in the broader context of what we're talking about, there are absolutely ways that we can, through storytelling, through yes. guided meditation with professionals, with good friends who understand the situation at least as best as they can, and who aren't there to try to force something upon you, but rather to support you as you work your way through the problem, there are a lot of healthy ways to be able to see some of your fears and see them for what they are. And if I may, I'm speaking from a place of very personal authority on this. Um, uh, I, I am a victim of sexual abuse. I, I am a victim of rape in both cases. It was non-consensual. Um, but not horribly, horrifically violent, which was good. But mm -hmm. it has meant that I've had to reestablish some of my own boundaries and reexamine things about myself and, and the way that I view the world. I have a wife who loves me more than anything in the world, guys. Mm -hmm. I, I'm in a beautiful family, in a beautiful home. I have beautiful, wonderful friends, mm -hmm. and I've been able to do a lot with it. I have also worked with a lot of people who have varying levels of similarity to what I've been through who are completely incapable of handling it just because of where they're at right now. Mm -hmm. And it's important to recognize that the same way that the paths that put you into that trauma are very, very different, the paths out are going to be very, very different as well. Seek professional help when, where, and how you can. Seek good friendships and good relationships that encourage you to be your best and that are not trying to force their way or their opinion onto you, but rather help you to find your own way out of it. And understand that just like that three-year-old kid who's had the chocolate bar taken away, there are going to be experiences that you hear about from other people that you will have the ability to contextualize on your own that are not a big deal to you. 
but that to the other person who has been through a very, very different path, it can be very difficult, almost sometimes feeling impossible to be able to make it through. So I just want to, for what it's worth, absolutely drop that out there. Absolutely. And, and I, to kind of like bring it, to, to nestle it back into sort of the theme of our show and the reason why we're discussing this in the first place, we have oft talked about the power of role playing. In fact, we've all we've often discussed how it is a real world psychotherapeutic tool that trained professionals use to help people work through their trauma, to work through uh, their fears, to work through their obstacles. And and we, I I think I can speak for all of us on the show when I say categorically, we support that. Hmm. The beauty of it is that it is not solely a tool for professionals. We can use that tool to express our own curiosities, our own fears, our own hopes, our own dreams. We use that as DMs and GMs and players to tell a cohesive, collaborative story when we're around that table. We all bring our polyhedral dice and we all bring our pieces of paper. But those are just the tools of the craftspeople around the table who are crafting an experience and a life that, while imaginary, has very real-world positive benefits. And I think that that is something kind of magical and beautiful. Yes. I just wanted to add an example from media, since we're talking about violence in media, that that illustrates your point, even though it's fiction. Uh, I highly recommend a show called The IT Crowd. British comedy. It is I was thinking hilarious. About I almost mentioned this in my diatribe just now. <laughs> you were, well, it's almost like we're brothers. Uh, in the episode in t uh, titled Jen the Frito, um, Jen they the Frito. end up doing a Dungeons and Dragons style role playing game. And uh, Roy, one of the main characters, was really struggling in the beginning of the episode because his girlfriend broke up with him, never even said goodbye. And he's, he's, he's definitely suffering the effects of lacking that closure. So in the role playing game, his friend boss creates a scenario uh, where there's an analog of his girlfriend in the adventure. And he's like, don't do this. He's like, Roy, it's okay. But they use role playing yeah. as, as, as you said there as a means of facing a, a fear or an anxiety to achieve allowing... catharsis. Yes. Mm -hmm. Catharsis. And he was able to move on and and let go and we've kind of gone from violence to psychology and and those things uh, did i tell you guys i'd written a book about reverse psychology no i don't think you did uh, don't buy it <laughs> that's a thinking man's dad joke <laughs> i wouldn't have the spine oh but it's okay because you've got me covered i was about to say that you stepped on my line <laughs> i took a page out of your book <laughs> <laughs> that's fantastic wow i have just been i have to yield the floor to alton because i have just been out dad joked this is why alton runs the rad dome and doesn't participate <laughs> in the rad dome well friends i do want to make sure to take just one final section here we're going to be relatively short on this because uh, yeah. we do need to wrap up but um uh, you know, one of the one of the things that that we do see, um, we've talked about how uh, violence can help us. We can also talk about we've also talked about at least on a light degree 
how when violence becomes gratuitous, it can negatively impact people, especially who are not prepared for it, right? That display of violence itself becomes violent, uh, especially when you're talking about kids, people who who do not yet have the cognitive ability um, to be able to, and, and context to be able to properly process what has happened to them, right? Um, but the good news is, is that there are things that you can do. Um, one of the things that's gotten kind of a bad rap in some communities is the idea of having safety tools in your role-playing games. I am a huge, 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 huge advocate of a session zero uh, to be able to have not only a group discussion with my players, but also individualized care to be able to understand, are there things that I should just avoid um, to set up a secret signal with each player that if something is starting to go off the rails, they can submit their signal and I will immediately move on from it. Again, because it's not necessarily my business to know why or how or what's going on behind the scenes, but it is my job, gold, silver, bronze rules of storytelling, right? Mm -hmm. To make sure that mm -hmm. the players are having a good time and that everybody is able to participate. And especially because we don't always know our own triggers and our own traumas, there can be situations that it's very important uh, to be able to have an audible called that people know doesn't have to be awkward and is a no questions asked. We're just going to make sure that you're okay situation, right? Um, beyond that, there are a lot of tools out there to be able to learn how to help people in crisis. I highly encourage anybody who is curious to go and learn about them. Um, please use reputable sources, real doctors, real psychiatrists, real psychologists, um, and, and understand that there may be things that to you are unintuitive because you have not experienced the exact same thing as the person across from you. But it's not about your experience, it's about theirs. And helping them have the power back in their situation to be able to solve their problem. Um, but the other thing that I gotta do is I gotta make sure to put out a plug. You guys ready for this? Oh, I'm ready for this. Plug away. So, um, the timeliness of this episode is really cool. I promise we did not orchestrate the wheel spin last week, but I was really glad when it came up because uh, I've actually been raising money for a charity um, I'm a little bit over a month in, and uh, my goal was to raise uh, $10,000 um, for a project called Children's Safe Haven um, in combination with iNetwork of Hearts, International Network of Hearts, and Operation Underground Railroad, and the Crone Breakthrough Foundation. Um, there are safe houses uh, that are specifically to help children who are victims of sex trafficking. Kids who are trafficked are more likely to become abusers themselves. And so one of the best ways that we can stop that kind of violence in the world is to help victims to have a safe place to recover and grow. Mm -hmm. um, one of the safe houses uh, in Mexico was starting to become compromised last year. And so these organizations are stepping in to be able to build a, a brand new compound from the ground up. They've purchased the land. I have an opportunity to go down in August to actually help break ground myself and deliver a whole bunch of supplies. But if you would like to be a part of this journey, I have currently, as of the recording of this video, raised just over $8,500 of the 10000 that I had committed. Yeah. Um, the organization itself is trying to raise 100000 in total, so I'd love to be able to stretch and, and go even farther with that. We're going to make sure to include links with this episode that you can 
come and contribute to that if you wish. It's a 501c3, very well accredited. You'll be able to use this as a tax write-off if absolutely nothing else. But uh, the, the, the best way to be able to support is, is directly through that link. So if you're listening and want to take a second to write this down, go to support.cronebreakthrough.org slash support. That is the fundraiser that uh, I'm specifically putting forward. Um, and uh, yeah, uh, y- you'll be able to look it up. You'll see my name. You'll see my picture right there so you know that it's me. Um, if you ever have any questions or concerns, you can reach out to the show or to me personally. Similarly, um, I'm going to be going out to uh, the Utah Gaming Con swap meet on June 17th. That's uh, Saturday um, with Galaxy of Games up at the Miller SLCC campus. I know some of you say slick, but yeah, whatever. <laughs> um, it's going to be going on from 10 to 6, and I'm selling the uh, a very large number, uh, about 270 titles of games, uh, as well as a whole bunch of dice and things like that. And uh, Dungeon Crawlers is actually going to be coming out. We're going to be doing some some fun events with everybody. We're going to record on site, uh, and you can come and pick up some cool games and dice and, and just hang out with us. Uh, so that's going to be June 17th, 2023, from 10 a.m. to 6 p.m. at the Miller Slick Campus. That's 9750 South, 300 West in Sandy. But beyond that, regardless of whether you have time to come and join us, money to contribute, uh, or or anything else, the best thing that you can do is do good wherever you are. Be kind, be understanding, be sympathetic and empathetic when you can. Um, and and understand that there was a lot of truth in the empathy that George Carlin prescribed when he said, anybody that's going slower than you is an idiot and anyone who's going faster than you on the road uh, is, uh, is a maniac, right? Mm-hmm. That understanding the view point of the people around you is very important and just because somebody is screaming down the road at 100 miles an hour or crying out for help in the moment that to you seems very simple doesn't mean that they don't have a need there that needs to be addressed and you can be a part of that change so thank you for being a part of the change with us too listening to this show has changed each of our lives in meaningful ways and we hope that we've done something for you tonight too go and be great and with that i'll hand it back to josh to take us out what a fabulously unexpected episode. Like, I knew what the topic was going to be. It definitely traveled in directions I didn't expect. But one of the beautiful things about this show, and it has always been so, is that we find relief and support with one another. Daniel talks about this all the time on the show. The idea that we can disagree with each other and not hate one another. That we can love each other and we can share in the same joys and entertainments and real life experiences and we can also empathize sympathize and support one another when we have experiences that others don't quite share it's okay because we are a community first and foremost to be a nerd to be a geek if you hate those terms or not does not matter the fact that you are part of this subculture gives you an opportunity to be an excellent human being And we love that you're with us on this journey. We love that we have the opportunity to talk about difficult subjects in sometimes difficult circumstances. But we have opportunities, ways, and tools that we can work through those difficulties together, not in isolation, 
not in solitude, but with one another in a way that is constructive. Alton, you are rapidly becoming a personal hero of mine. And for the record, uh -huh. DCR does in fact endorse the charity work that Alton is doing. Thank you. Uh, in fact, this year will be possibly the most charitable year for DCR because we are doing not just, we're, we're not just supporting your charity event. We have another charity mm -hmm. event coming up in July, but I will not, I will not uh, do anything to overshadow the importance of what you discussed today because what you've covered today is vital. Thank you for your charity. Thank you for your empathy. Thank you for sharing your experience. Matai, thank you for being the best older brother on the planet and for helping me through some extremely difficult times. And thank you, crawlers, for sticking together, for staying with us, and for supporting one another and not tearing each other down. And with that, I will channel the spirit of Daniel to say, we're out of here. And dungeon crawlers, tell your story, whatever may come. And my little nerdlings, remember to let your geek flag fly. So say we all. And whether you are an idiot or a bloodthirsty maniac, always remember to be epic. And don't suck. Remember, the force will be with you. Always. Thank you for listening to the podcast. If you like this episode... Please give us a five-star rating on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you find us.